There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. to another episode of the Roker Report podcast in association with the Sunday Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back in the host chair for this week's review show and, well, what a game to review. Sunderland weren't at their best, but the battled hard to win a vital three points away at Stoke. And joining me to dissect the performance, as always, is my mate Martin. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm not bad. And also with us this morning is a very special guest and friend of the podcast, Sky Sports News presenter and... Massive lads fan Tom White. Hi, Tom. Hello, I am world class, top of the world. Brilliant. Did you stay up for the fight last night? I did. Drove to the game. Yeah. Because the trains were down. It's not not quite the same when you've got to drive, but drove to the game. Got back in good time still. Even watched got the end of the uh the five thirty Premier League game and then stayed up for the fight and really, really enjoyed that as well. It was a good day all round. Yeah, yeah. I was just saying before we came on there, I'm a bit more chipper than I thought I'd be because it was quite late by the time that ended, wasn't it? But yeah, we're here to talk about the win over Stoke. I think it's fair to say that the performance overall wasn't scintillating, Tom. We were all right. We battled hard. The most important thing was we came away with the three points and I think Alex Neil was obviously delighted with that. But after the game, when I listened to his interviews, he wasn't happy with how we played in that first half. He felt like we weren't competing was the main thing. But come the end of the game, I think we could all say we probably deserved the win. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. First half, uh, it just seemed like we didn't click at all. But although we didn't click and we weren't playing very well, we didn't concede. And there were still a couple of players that really shone in the first half as well. I mean, especially Anthony Patterson. He was brilliant throughout the game, actually, in that first half. He was vital to making sure that we didn't concede. And then for once, it was us against the runner play that got that goal. And in the second half, quite a strange feeling. I I never really felt like we were... I I felt quite comfortable. I know they had a few chances. Dwight Gale almost. Mm. That would have ruined my my weekend. But in general, (laughs) I felt quite calm in the second half, actually, which which is very rare for me. And we just... I, I, I would have liked us to have put the game to bed. And that's something now that we've got that first clean sheet, which I'm sure we've been working on. Now we maybe just need to to work on just finishing a game off. Yeah. Do you think we played Stoke at the right time, Martin? I know we we touched on this in a few of the podcasts before the game and stuff, but Stoke not in the best of places at the minute. Don't seem particularly cohesive, not playing the greatest football. Fans getting on the manager's case and it looks like, you know, if, if results don't improve soon, he could be getting the, the sack. Is it a good time to play Stoke, do you think? Because when you I think Tom just touched on there, they, Dwight Gale came off the bench for them. You know, He's a 20-odd goal-a-season striker at this level. So we played a team with who, who've got a lot of quality, but they didn't have enough about them, did they, really? No, that's it. And you know whether it's the right time to play them or not, it's, it's determined by the result, isn't it? So they've had a, a little bit of a bad start, but you know they, they've got, got a last-minute equaliser against Borough during midweek, so you kind of think they were, were going into that game with a bit of confidence, you know, and yeah, Dwight Gale was was on the bench now. He hasn't got off the mark for them yet, has he? But you know, they had Delap making no. his debut. 
And you know, I think I always think August is a really funny time to play anybody because the team that people have lining up is going to be vastly different in three or four weeks' time. You know, when you get new signs settled in and all that sort of stuff. So, as it turned out, it was a good time to play them. You know, you never, yeah, <laughs> you never uh, that confident about getting three points away at Stoke, and obviously we we came away with all three. So, um, in hindsight, yeah, wonderful time to play them. The early part of the game, Tom was yeah, like I said, we didn't play particularly well. Probably the two key moments early in the game were the bookings that we picked up. Luke 9 took one, which he's a walking yellow card at the minute. I think I, <laughs> I put in our WhatsApp chat, Martin, if if there was one bet I was going to put on this weekend, it would be him to get carded because he seems to pick one up in every game at the minute. It's buying money, isn't it? Yeah, and then Jay Matete, he got yellow carded. And obviously, as the game went on, that proved to be um, fairly decisive in what happened because Alex Neal brought them both off. That's something I think we've got to look at, Tom. I don't know if you'd agree. I mean, three yellow cards in the first half for Sunderland. We do seem to be picking up a fair few of these. And as we've seen with Dan Neal going off last week, it did have a big say in how that game went. And then after the game, Alex Neal was talking about the fact that he just he felt he had to bring the pair of Matetti and O'Neill off because he felt like a red card could be coming. Do you think that's something we need to work on? Because when you manage to have to make changes at half-time, it's... It's not good, is it? Well, in, in in terms of him making the changes, whatever Alex Neal does, I, I back him. I just trust him so much. But that's something that I was mm, I was mm. saying. I said, those two have got to go off because they're the type of player. I, mean, I, I didn't think the ref was brilliant, by the way. I never criticised refs. I, I think it, I wasn't particularly impressed with him yesterday, actually. And there was no doubt in my mind that those two were going to get a second yellow. Whether it's something we need to work on, I don't know. But I think where we've had a little bit of luck this season you know O'Nine could have been sent off a couple of times um I don't know if it's just yeah. being over enthusiastic I mean the, the yellow card yesterday was just a standard yellow card it wasn't a dirty challenge or anything like that nothing wrong with that but when you are a player like him and a player like Matete who I love by the way I absolutely love Jay Matete I'm probably his biggest fan I know there's a few people who think maybe <laughs> and, and I can understand this might think it's time for him to he should have a year out on loan or, or something, I love him. If if we bring in a midfielder and need to get rid of a midfielder, for me, it wouldn't be him. But the type of game he plays, he's not going to not press. He's not going to not stick his foot in. And when you do that, if you just accidentally clip the man rather than the ball, when you're on a yellow card, you're in trouble. So I think it was definitely the right thing to take both of them off because we couldn't afford to go down to 10 yeah. men with the game on a knife edge as it was. But in terms of their style of play, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be changing their style of play, though. In in fairness, I'd, I'd, I'd tell Luco Nine to maybe cut out the challenges that could be that could be red cards. But in, ter- in well, terms, that, that, the, only, <laughs> the only the only worry I've got with O Nine is now refs are going to be watching him. You know exactly They're what I said. Go away. This kid's got you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in the pub beforehand, I mean, I I don't gamble personally, but everyone were, were putting their bets on, and everyone. Had Luke O'Neill to get a red card in in their bets, right? <laughs> sorry, 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 to get to get a card, to get a card, um, not a red, to get a card, and and it, it turned out to be it turned out to be spot on. But what I said to everyone is, we need to be careful. I, I thought he might not even be in the team because refs are going to be watching him. They will have seen the two games where he potentially could have got a red card and said, mm-hmm. "Well, we've, we've missed that on the day. We need to keep an eye on him." So I think you are absolutely right. I think referees will be watching him and it may well be that in a few weeks' time or the next game, he he makes a fair challenge, but the referee sees it differently and he gets a red card because the referee is watching him, which is why I I thought he might not even play yesterday for that reason. Hmm. You're you're right about the referee. I thought he was poor, to be honest. The the, the bugbear for me was that he was card-happy with our players and then you had Liam Delap up front for Stoke who, to be fair, he had a good battle with 0-9 for most of the game. And then in the second half, he'd already been booked, and then the, right at the end of the second half, he com- cynically wipes out, I can't remember who it was, it was one of our players. It's a blatant yellow. I mean, if that's not a yellow card, then none of ours were yellow cards, because exactly. he let that one go, and Delap should have gone. He should have been sent off, and he and there was no hint of him being sent off. So the problem I've got is the lack of consistency. I don't know if you saw the interview with... Um, Nigel Pearson in midweek, the Bristol City manager, but yeah. he was really, I don't know if you saw it, but he was really, really ticked off. With he basically said he's at the stage where he wants to just walk away from the sport entirely because of the, the state of refereeing in England. Yeah. I mean, it is a problem. When we were in League One last season, Tom, we would come on this pod every week 
and say, well, you know, the, the, the League One referees, they're going to be poor and it's yes, it's crap, but as you move up the pyramid, it does get better. It hasn't got better at all. I think the championship is just as bad as League One when it comes to officiating. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I did hear the, the Nigel Pearson one and it was quite interesting to hear him say that. I mean, in, some of his post-match news conferences over the years have been absolute dynamite, and it's it's been a while since we've had <laughs> since we've had one like that. And that I, I I do know what I mean, and I I always you know I, I never I never like to blame referees, and I, I do always genuinely try to defend them. But when I'm at a game, I'm always joking every time that the first decision goes against us, I shout, ah, oh, the referee's a Newcastle fan. But yesterday, I was starting to think he might be, <laughs> all right? So it's, it's, you've, 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 uh, you've lured me in here to, to, to really criticise him. I was, I was not happy with him yesterday at all. And it's easy to, because we won, it's easy to go, oh, well, we won, forget about it. But I, I wasn't happy with him at all. And the, the, the good thing about being in the championship, though, is, the games are there's a lot more games that are televised and there's mm-hmm. in that case there's a lot more analysis on the referee in league one it felt like they could just do whatever they want and they absolutely seemed yeah. to love going to the stadium alight and thinking that they were they were the star attraction there in that big stadium and i hope that has been left behind but i wasn't impressed with that referee yesterday yeah anthony patterson played a really important role in the game martin uh, there was one save early on where Jacob Brown tries to loft it over Patterson and he backpedals and tips it over the bar. And even later in the game, I think there was a couple more at the end of the first half where he saved low down to his corners. Just as the game wore on, he was holding onto the ball. He was dropping to his knees and grabbing it. It's great to see Anthony Patterson's development, isn't it? He's Even even after like a, a couple of hairy moments where people have criticised him on corners in recent weeks and stuff, uh, I think he's getting better and better. And I, I actually think we're starting to see some of the faith that's been shown in him by Alex Neil repaired. Absolutely. I think if you if you look back to it was January, wasn't it, when he came back, he was recalled from his loan spell at, at Notts County, wasn't yeah. it? When we had that COVID outbreak and Hoffman had had COVID and was out for a while. And if you compare the Anthony Patterson who came back and played in those games at Wickham, played at home against Lincoln, I think, didn't he? If you compare yeah. him then to now, and you know, it's only what it's seven seven and a half months ago. The, his development has been outstanding. Like I think you, you look at his shot stopping, and you know we saw it against Sheffield United in, in the last stages of that game, didn't we? Where he he made three or four great saves that you know looked pretty pretty good chances of getting goals. Um, against Stoke, he made some great saves. He's developing quickly and improving quickly. And look, he's he's got a few weaknesses. Like I don't think he's great on on crosses yet. I don't think he commands his box as well as he could do yet. But he's a young player, and young players have strengths, they have weaknesses, and it's you know the coaching staff's responsibility. Obviously, we've just got a new goalkeeping coach, and it'll be interesting to see how Patterson develops under him, won't it? But you know, I think mm. we've we've got kind of got to accept that look, he's got a little bit of weakness in, in certain things, but his shot stopping makes up for that at the moment. And as a young player, he's going to continue to develop. And we just have to give him a bit of leeway on those little weaknesses because if he keeps developing the way he has done over the past you know six seven months by the end of the season we're gonna have a cracking keeper on his hands now yeah. the, the interesting thing before the season started i was very much of the opinion that we get an experienced keeper in either to go in his first choice or to really act as as backup and push patterson and i think it would be very unfair at the minute to bring a keeper in and put him straight into the team so it's how yeah. patterson's performances have affected alex neil's thinking about that position, that's you know it's going to be it's going to transpire over the next nine or ten days, isn't it? How how that's actually um, worked out, but it'll be interesting to see. But do you do you think we'll bring another keeper in, Tom? Are you do you think or do you think it's like we're all in on Patterson now? Well, I I think at the start of the window, I think um, he wasn't sure whether Patterson was going to be number one or he wanted to bring in a number one, and I think the way he started the season has changed his mind, and I think he can save some money and save some wages by having Patterson as number one and and uh, Bass can can challenge him for that because it, it, it was it was my understanding at the start of the window that there would be a more I was quite when when Alex Bass signed and and he good goalkeeper you, you know my fiance is a Portsmouth fan and um she she loved Craig McGillivery when he was at um at Portsmouth and couldn't understand why he'd been dropped for Bass. It turned out to be a contractual issue, but then she was actually very impressed with him. So I had a bit of inside info on him. 
before he signed, and he's a good goalkeeper. But I thought we might be, but but he he clearly wasn't being signed to be number one. He wasn't going to go from League One to the Championship to to come in as a, as our number one. So I was quite surprised when that signing was made, and I can only think that that's because he sees Patterson as number one. And and Patterson, his development is is kind of a representative of how how great a shape the club is in right now. I honestly think that that our club is is in the best shape it's been for as long as I can remember. I think we, certainly me, and I think we all love the manager. I've, I've not trusted a manager this much since um, Sam Allardyce. Whatever Sam Allardyce did, even if it was something that, that would baffle me, I'd think, well, if Sam Allardyce has done it, it must be right. I'm now thinking that about yeah. Alex Neil. Whatever he does... I think, I think right. Well, he's he's done that for a reason, and it will work. I'm not I'm not worried about what he does if he makes it makes it something. When he, like when he brought Luke Onayan on for Daniel Ballard a couple of weeks ago, I was like, like normally I'd be like, oh, what's he doing? What's he doing? I was like, okay, well, he, because Alex Neil knows what he's doing, I, I trust him. So I love the manager. I think our first team is really. I think we've honestly got a really good team. I know we need a few more. But I think the team is really good. The fans, are, we are completely on the club side at the moment. I think the ownership is sorted. I'm, I'm, I'm far more comfortable with the ownership than it is now. The displays at the Stadium of Light are brilliant. The atmosphere is better, of course, from the Championship rather than League One. The youngsters have got a pathway to the first team. That's how this got started on Anthony Patterson. The youngsters are getting a chance and a proper chance, not a few minutes here and there, being given a run of games at a Championship club. And I think that the, the whole club at the moment is in such good shape. We're all very proud to say that we are Sunderland fans always. At the moment, I'm actually proud of the club rather than just being proud to be a Sunderland fan because there have been times where I'm proud to be a Sunderland fan, but I've not been proud about what's going on at the club. That is different now. And Patterson's chance in the first team, taking that chance, watching him get better and better and better and cementing the number one shirt is completely indicative of, of everything I've just said there. I couldn't agree more. I think you're right. One thing that's going to have to be massively important to to the club going forward, and it doesn't matter who's at the helm, whether it's Alex Neil, Christian Speakman, whoever, is that academy. It's not in my lifetime as a fan, sort of since the academy was opened, it's sort of been a sideshow to the rest of the operation, hasn't it? Until it got to the stage where we dropped out of the top flight and money was running dry and all the rest of it. And we, we then had to look to the academy to, to source players. That's the first time since it opened, really, Martin, isn't it, that Sunderland have, have actually took full advantage of the fact we've got this fantastic facility with a brilliant football and structure within it, with all these good young players from the local area. It's the first time we've actually properly took advantage of it, really, isn't it? And it's now we're starting to see the fruits of that. Okay, yeah. Dan Neal made a mistake the other day, but he's a player we all expect to go on and do great things. Patterson seems to be headed the same way. There was Lyndon Gooch captain of the team as another academy player, you know. It does look good, doesn't it? It does look good, and I think it's it's probably a little bit unfair in, in some respects because it's the first time we've been really in a position where we've had the opportunity to give those sort of players a run in the team. I mean, if you go back to the sort of mid-2000s, a lot of players came through the academy but weren't actually ready to step into a Premier League team. You know, like John Egan, mm. who played against us on, on Wednesday. He yeah. was one who... Connor Horahan. And went, yeah, Horahan was, was there. And there's, there's a few others to, to name, isn't there? Mm. Um, so I think we're, we're kind of in the position where we, we, have, or we, we have the opportunity anyway to give young players the chance. You know, we obviously let a few go, didn't we? To Flogged a few off when we first went down to League One, which probably set us back a couple of seasons mm. in, in giving people a, a chance. But really, that's what it should be, and it should be the, the place that people, any any kid in the Northeast aspires to come and be part of because the facilities are so good, the coaching's so good, and there's a pathway into the, the first team if they, they're good enough. That's the crucial part. That's the crucial part because well, it is. where we can do that, I don't think other teams, namely Newcastle, I don't think they're good, they, especially as they go on and spend more money and their sites are set on a different path. We can be the club of the north, really, for the young players to come through and see a genuine pathway to the first team. It would be nice to do so, wouldn't it? And obviously, Middlesbrough had a reputation 
for a long time it would be in that, haven't they? They, mm-hmm. they brought a number of players through. And I think, you know, if, if you kind of marry that up with the the approach to transfers that we've seen in terms of bringing young players in from Premier League clubs who haven't been able to get a chance and give them a chance in the first team, coach them, develop them, the crowd kind of learn how... It's almost it's like different psychologically being a supporter of a team with a number of young players in as opposed to being a supporter of a team with loads of experienced players in because you've got these players developing in front of you and you've got to give them a bit of leeway in terms of how you react to, to performances because performances will go up and down. But, you know, we saw Sirkin yesterday, absolutely like a cracking performance. And, you know, he's somebody who you can see getting better pretty much every week with every, every game. He's stepped up a level and, and looks great. Um, and you and you don't. The exciting thing is you don't know where the ceiling is for these players. So any player like Dan Neal who's coming in through through the academy, we've seen Patterson. We've talked about him. We we don't know what the ceiling is, and that to me as a fan mm. is a really exciting prospect because get all of those players together, and then the team has unknown potential. And if we can get that right, you know we could really be onto something. When you mention their circuit and you, you think of Jack Clark, you think of uh, Dan Ballard. Uh, these youngsters from Premier League clubs, the, the recruitment policy, when I was saying how proud I am of the club at the moment, the recruitment policy is something I missed out. I think the, the, what, the policy we've got at the moment is something that there's no reason why we couldn't have had this in the Premier League. We sign players who, uh, we sign players at a, a fair price, maybe even a very good price from our point of view, uh, who are young, they're going to develop, they're going to get better they're going to be first team regulars, but crucially, because you've got to think about this as well, crucially, their value is going to go up, right? Yeah. We don't want the days of signing players for millions of pounds and they leave for free, right? Or in in some cases, like Didier Ndong and, and Jilla Bodji sign for millions of pounds and, and get sacked, right? <laughs> These players sign for low fees, they get better and better. And if someone was to say to, to buy Sirkin or Clark or anyone else off us, it's going to cost that club a fortune and we actually have a good, a real good transfer policy, a transfer model. Um, we don't, our preference now is to only sign players who are under the age of 25, but that's not strict. That's that's not strict. If the manager really wants a player who's a bit older, like um, when we signed, well, Danny, Danny Bart, for instance, um, and others, and, well, and Alex Pritchard last summer, that, that can happen. It's not a really strict policy, but the general policy is players under the age of 25 who are going to get better. They're going to get into the first team and going to improve us. They're going to improve as players, which means that, that improves the team because they're playing in it. But crucially, their value goes up. And I love that policy. And we, sh- we should have been having this policy for years and years, but we finally got it right. So another thing I'm very proud of at the club at the moment is the recruitment. There's a couple of things there as well, isn't there, Tom, in terms of like players obviously talk a lot and you've got people who are aware with England and 21s and all that sort of stuff and you know the likes of Sirkin for example if he's aware with international teams and he's having conversations with other people they go oh shit Sunderland's probably a good place to go to to develop my career for the next three or four years and for us to get that reputation in that age group could be a significant advantage that we have in the transfer market over the the coming seasons and the other thing with recruitment which um, Alex Neal mentioned in a press conference he did, he did last week was I think he was talking about like, everything that's going into selecting players and he was really focusing on the mental attitude and the how the like the players character will fit in with the rest of the team and all that sort of stuff and that's been something that's been grossly overlooked for, for years when we've been bringing players in you know purely on reputation seemingly in in the past but like it's such an important part to get the right person as well as the right player and you know we seem to have had success in in that respect over the past year, and I think you can tell with even the way the team stuck together yesterday when you know we were under a bit of pressure, that comes from having the right characters in the team, and if you've got a gr- good group, it can count for a hell of a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, talking about good recruitment, it feeds into the rest of the game because the first half was like I said in earlier was wasn't great. Stoke did have a period where they were on top. I listened to the um the the Stoke commentary of the game when I was watching it, and they were very much of the opinion that Stoke were the better team that they should be battering us. It was actually Clive Clark who was on co commentary from uh, <laughs> BBC Radio Stoke who said repeatedly 
we should be beating teams like Sunderland two or three nil. He said this probably four or five times during that first half. But he was made to eat his words when uh, former Stokey Jack Clark cut inside through the middle of the pitch, played a lovely lofted ball over the top, which, I mean, from a defensive perspective, Stoke have got probably the three slowest centre-halves in the league and they're playing a high line. Got totally done over the top. Ross Stewart, who never gives in, does he? Uh, got on the end of a really good ball from Clark. Goes one-on-one with the goalkeeper and... I'll be honest, I think the keeper should have saved it, but doesn't matter, it went in the back of the net. What was it like in the stands watching that go back there? Tom, was it was it good? I imagine it was. I imagine the place went mental. Pandemonium. It's one of one of those where you, you <laughs> at half time you, you go down into the concourse, you go you, you go you kind of leave your seat and the amount of people who've left to go and get a pint or a pie. And they're like, did, did you see the goal? Oh, what happened? And and they're, they're furious with themselves because they've <laughs> left early and missed the goal. But it was brilliant because it didn't, I, I, at that stage, I didn't see it coming. I thought, right, well, Alex Neal's going to make change at half time and we'll be better in the second half. But to get that goal, it was just, it was perfect. And really, once that goal went in, Stoke never, like I said, I don't think Stoke ever really looked like getting back into the game after that. So that's, that's how crucial that goal was. But the, the ball from Clark was incredible. Um, and the Stoke goalkeeper, very, very highly rated. He's, he's played very well against us before when he's been on, on loan at clubs in League One. Uh, Joe Bursick, very good goalkeeper. But he seemed to lack a lot of confidence yesterday. I don't know if it was just because he oh, let well, that I goal in. I don't know what's been going on there. I don't know what's been going on there, but their commentators were slaughtering him. Like, so I don't know whether he's been struggling. Right. Uh, well, I, I wonder if he's because he, he's very highly rated. So I wonder if uh, you know, I wonder if a club has come in for him and he's not been allowed to go or something like that. I don't. I don't know. That's a complete guess. But he, um, he, he is very, very highly rated. I wasn't sure if that was just a one-off bad game, but he looked to have no confidence. Well, well like when Patterson played for us away at Wickham when it was three-three in. Uh, in, in January, I thought Patterson looked nervous. I thought, uh, now he doesn't. Um, I thought Bursic looked a little bit nervous, but it's it, it was just perfect timing. All, all commentators say, oh, it's a great time to score. But it, in the, in this case, it, it genuinely was a great time to score. And just great to see Stuart making the step up from League One to the Championship mm. and flying every, every Monday morning on our transfer shows. We have uh, Joby McEnough, on who's like you know an EFL expert for for Sky Sports now, and every week we ask him right which which players should Premier League clubs um, be looking into the Championship to sign, and we've got a we've got a little agreement me and him that he doesn't mention Ross Stewart that he <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't get he he doesn't use his name he can use whoever he wants but he's not allowed to say Ross Stewart. Good work because <laughs> it is it is a worry like I mean. I can't say enough good about Ross Stewart, but I tweeted out from our account, maybe in the heat of the moment, but I stand by it, that I, I can't remember a more complete forward than Ross Stewart in the Sunderland shirt. I'm not saying he's the best striker we've ever had. I just think as an all-round player, I can't think of anybody. Yeah. And the other thing is I can't really think of a single flaw in his game. Like, all right, yeah, he should finish off more chances. That's any player. That I mean, even, even Messi and Ronaldo should probably score more than they actually do. But Ross Stewart... His all-round game is just so good. And I, I always think back to um, last year we played Portsmouth and um, Danny Cowley came out and said that Ross Stewart is the best striker in the league because of how he defends from the front. Mm. And that's such, that, that is such a, an important trait in a player, isn't it, Martin? That, like, someone like Ross Stewart who scores as many as he does, he probably runs more than any player on the pitch. I, I would love to see the running stats after games, but can't imagine anybody runs more than he does. But he, he makes it difficult for defenders, and I don't care whether you're you know, an international playing for England in the Premier League, or you're somebody playing for Wigan in the Championship, or you know Plymouth in League One. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're playing a striker like that, it must be impossible to prepare for them, because what do you do? You can't look at Ross Stewart and go, there's an obvious weakness in his game, and we need to exploit that. I, I, if I was a manager, I would be clueless. I'd just be like, "Lads, you're just gonna have to, you're just gonna have to work as hard as he does to try and stop him." What would it, it's hard to put your finger on, isn't it? Well, it, it is, and you know, we've we've seen a number of teams try to stop him, and nobody's really done this successfully. Bolton, Bolton are probably the only one I can think of when the actually, players is, is last season, home, yeah, and, and the way their yeah. defense handled them pretty well, didn't they? Look, he, he, you're right. He's got he's like good at everything, and very good at some things. And like that off the ball work, you you wonder whether that's um, 
like symptomatic of how he came through in football. You know, he didn't come through in a big club, a big academy. He's had to work really, really hard. And you know, he's he's not yeah. a young lad. He's twenty six, so he's you know, he's come through, and he's sort of hit well English football, League One, now Championship at a relatively late age in his development compared to a lot of other players. So you know, there's probably that appreciation of the need to work hard and appreciation of where he is that maybe you don't get if you come through the, the Man United Academy or the Liverpool Academy or, or Sunderland's Academy. So mm. there's, there's something in that. I must admit, I am I am concerned about his contract because if we get a big offer in over the next couple of weeks, like what Which do we do? Which is entirely possible. Yeah. What do we yeah. do? If we if somebody comes in with twelve million for him or something, bottom of the Premier League, it's gonna like it's gonna be accepted. Yeah, well, that's that's we, we, Tom was talking about policy earlier and the transfer policy. And that's that's, a, that's the other side, of it, side it? of it, isn't yeah. it? That's the other side of it, Tom. Is that we signed Ross Stewart? He was a data signing. He was playing left wing for Ross County in the Scottish Premiership. Wasn't scoring goals. We he was signed based on his data. He's come here. He's been brilliant ever since. And Martin's right. He's got what a year left on his deal. Teams are going to be looking at him, and because there aren't many Ross Stewarts growing on trees, I'm telling you. And they're going to be looking at him, and they're going to be team. I mean, look at some of the silly money that's been spent. The Premier League, I think, Notts Forest are the second highest spenders in the division. There's teams with money who would take him, and that's the worry, isn't it? it well, it is a worry, but you've got to kind of trust that that recruitment policy. That if we found a Ross Stewart, if he was to go, I mean, for, for twelve million pounds, I'd, I'd actually, I'm not sure if um, if he's on many Premier League clubs' radars. If I'm honest, he should be. He, he should be. But I don't think he is. Um, and it, but if a twelve million pound bid did come in, we'd have to trust that if we accepted that and he went, that we've got someone lined up to come in because, like Southampton used to do it, they used to sell, they sold Luke Shaw for thirty million, signed Ryan Bertrand for next to nothing, and Bertrand at the time was actually better than Luke Shaw. It ended up being an upgrade. They sold um, Adam Lalana for big money, replaced him with Dusan Tadic. Tadic at the time was better than Adam Lalana, and he cost a lot less. It, if if over time we can have that recruitment policy, then all the fans will... I, I trust the recruitment policy. All the fans will, will trust it if we do that. But I, I'm i I'm not that... The reason I'm, I'm not that worried, I might it might be blissful ignorance, but I, I, I'm confident that Ross Stewart is very, very happy here. Um, He's, he's the main man, even though we've brought in Ellis Sims, who was a heck of a lot better than I thought, by the way. He was brilliant yesterday. Um, even though we brought him in, he's playing with Ross Stewart. They're not rotating. Ross Stewart's the main man. The fans love him. He seems to be very happy at the club. I still think he'll sign a new contract personally, but I think it'll probably uh, be after the, the deadline. Yeah, I would like to think so. I think that's the other side of it as well, what we haven't touched on, is that I think he's a a really humble person, Ross Stewart, and comes from a really good ground. And I think he's he spoke about a lot, hasn't he? How his his dad fronted up part of his transfer fee when he was a junior player in Scotland yeah. <laughs> to help him push on. So this is a lad who comes from sort of humble beginnings, but knows his place in the in the pyramid. I think it's a a good point you made before there, Martin, about the way he came through football. It reminds a little bit of Jamie Vardy in that he yeah. was a late bloomer, That's sort of right. came came out from non league and. Even now, when he's thirties, Jamie Vardy still scoring goals in the Premier League, and it, a lot of it's to do with the way that he was grounded and the way he was brought through as a footballer. That does there's quite there's quite a lot of examples of that, isn't it? Lads who sort of either missed out by the academy system or never made it as a 16, 17 year old, and were late bloomers, and then eventually went on to have very good careers, and they would put Ross Stewart in that bracket. Um, I think the other point as well is is that this sounds like a bit big headed, but with Sunderland in in the Championship, still the biggest team in this league, you know, for somebody to come in and, and take him away, the offer's going to have to be good as well. We've started the season well, we look ambitious, we play good football, the manager knows him, he's playing in front of a massive crowd. If a Prem team comes in, it's going to be tempting, but at the same time, a lot of these Prem teams have got two, three stri- strikers already who are a better, pro- probably better ability at the minute or or of equal ability in some cases and he's going to need to be shown something to say, well, yeah, I'm going to be starting games if I go there, you know. So, I... I, I I don't think that we're in a position where we're set to lose him. I do think, though, that as long as he's playing well, he's going to be on various radars. And the age things may be important. I think, you, did you say he was 26? Hey, he's just turned 26. Yeah, a lot of teams won't spend big money on 26-year-olds now. So. 
A lot of them will prefer to go for a 21, 22-year-old. Even though that is the start of a striker's peak. So they, this is yeah. this is probably the best time to sign a striker is when they're 26. But but you're you're right. People think that's too old to, to, to sign a player. We'll blast through the rest of the game then. Sunderland, to be fair, looked pretty comfortable. I know Stoke had a number of chances, didn't they, Tom? But we, I didn't feel threatened at all. I didn't feel like we were going to lose the game. We certainly had more control of it in the second half. You could tell by, obviously, like I said, I listened to the to the radio store commentary and obviously you get a very biased view on things when you listen to the opposition's pundits talking through the game. And at the start of the game, it was all, we should be battering these two or three nil. And by the end of it, it was a begrudging praise of Sunland from Clive Clark when he was talking about how we probably deserved it in the end. We just wanted it more. And the second half sort of ran away from Stoke, didn't it? Yeah, it, it did. And like I said, I, I just felt quite, Comfortable, which is which I know is dangerous. Stoke Stoke got some good players, by the way. Their their striking options are incredible. When you can bring on Dwight Gale and um, Tyrese Campbell, I mean that's some options that they've got. And Tarek Fosu was was playing out of position. The whole squad, was, Tom. Yeah. The whole Tom. Yeah. Uh, the whole squad, Tom. When you when you look at when you look at their bench compared to see ours, they they said Dwight Gale, who's a twenty odd goal a season championship striker. Tyrese Campbell, someone I rate a lot. Lucas played, I think, in the Prem for them. Yes. Aidan Flint, who's an established player, he would be starting games if he played for us. Yeah. Morgan Fox, an established championship player. Demarjo Ray Phillips, somebody who's got a lot of promise. Uh, Jack Bonham's a player who's very highly rated. You know, that's a good bench, and that that's the other thing, isn't it? We're coming up against teams who, and I, again, I tweeted this: these are teams with better squads than us, but they don't have what we've got essentially in in terms of the the spirit and the the 11 on the pitch that starts the game I don't think they don't have Alex Neal that's what they don't have and that honestly honestly I I just cannot praise him enough I I knew he was a good manager I didn't realize how good a manager he was and I'll tell you I'll tell you two stories which you might find interesting about Alex Neal actually from his time at Norwich former colleague and still very good friend Natalie Sawyer I don't know if if you know her she's on TalkSport now used to be on Sky Sports News with me, um, she was the season Norwich got promoted to the Premier League under Alex Neal. She was like at a, a kind of end of season doing was making and was like making some small talk with Alex Neal, and um, she said, "God, I mean, this time last year you were at Hamilton. You're now a Premier League manager. Can, can you believe it?" And he just went, "Yes." Shrugged his shoulders, <laughs> went, "Yes," and like, I think she was a bit taken aback. But that's that's the confidence he's got in his own ability. And, and listen to this one. I was at a, a wedding a, a month or so ago, maybe 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 six weeks ago, a former Norwich players' wedding actually. And there was loads of Norwich fans there, and I was on a table with them, this couple, uh, husband and wife, who big Norwich fans. And well, they they told me that they're good friends with Alex Neal, and they were telling me that that season they went up under under Neal. They were in the playoffs and there was a little bit of kind of doom and gloom. Like, oh, I wish, wish we didn't have to go through the playoffs. I wish we'd gone up automatically. And there's a lot of pessimism around the club and in the boardroom. And Alex Neal said to whoever it was, the chairperson or the, or the owners, whoever it was, said, no, we're going up. All right, really? Yeah, I'll beat anyone over two legs. Over two legs, I'll beat anyone, right? <laughs> what did they do? Won the semifinals over two legs, went to the final. And he said, and when we get to the final, on that big Wembley pitch, big occasion, great stadium, we will win. Doesn't matter who we're against. At Wembley, we will win. They beat Borough, got promoted. And he was, honestly, it, it was as though he was a fortune teller. It was as though he could see into the future. And that, the, the story Natalie told me years, you know, she told me that story when it happened years ago. But that story about the playoffs which was just a few weeks ago. And I was just thinking... Gotta keep this guy. I just I, I love him. I've, I've Sam Allardyce to me is the, the best manager never to win the Premier League. If, if you take away the likes of, of Ferguson and Wenger and Mourinho, I don't think there's there's anyone better in the Premier League than Allardyce. I, I, everyone everyone laughs at me when I say that. I, I love him, and I, I've never really got over him leaving Sunderland until now, because <laughs> I'm actually starting to feel the same way about Alex Neil. That's how good he is, and I'm yeah. And, and not we, we play Norwich next Saturday, which which I'm going to. And apparently, from speaking to people, the Norwich fans still love him as well. So I think he'll get a good rea- a good reception from them too. And I'm looking forward to going to the game 
on the Saturday. The, the Sunday is my UK stag doing Durham, and I can assure you I'm far more looking forward to the Saturday than the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I couldn't uh, agree more with you. Like we, We've talked about him quite a lot on here, and it's the way that he just baffles people with logic. It, logical confidence, I would call it. Yeah. Even in his press conferences, he's got people on their toes. And I mean, again on Friday, he was, I think, one of the um, the press slot named Bailey Wright incorrectly and straight away he pulled him up on it. And the guy was crapping his pants. You could tell just by listening to the <laughs> trembling in his voice, you know. But it, it it's not, he, he doesn't rule by fear, does he? He rules just by logic. And, and, and there's a lot of bullshitting in football. And, um, as much as I love Lee Johnson, I hate to bring him up again, but he's a he's a total different character to that type of manager. And I actually think that when you look back over history, the the the, the various managers who've been successful at Sunderland have all had that trait in them. They've all yeah. been very down to earth, logical, confident men. You know who who um, aren't afraid to say how it is. It's just that's what works at Sunderland. You know, certain managers work at certain clubs, and that's the type of manager that works here. And like. If Alex Neil walked away, we'd have to recruit another manager along the, who's got that sort of bullishness about them because I don't think anything else works here, and it's it's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. I think that's you know we 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 finally put our finger on what works at Sunderland, and you can't necessarily complain, can you, Martin? When Alex Neil's given us results like he is, no, absolutely not. He's got that. It's just that self confidence and self assuredness that. You, know, you can tell he's not going to be distracted by anything going on externally, outside noise, all that sort of stuff. And he, he simplifies things very well. And as you say, it's kind of that logical approach to it. And it was like, I remember when we, it was in the build-up to the Sheffield Wednesday semi-final, wasn't it? Where the press were going, oh, you know, how are you going to get the lads up? It's going to be an intimidating atmosphere. How are you going to get them up for it? You know, are, they, are you worried they're going to shrink in, in the atmosphere? He's like, what are we worried about? A few people booing, a few people saying boo. That's nothing to worry. But it's it's not it is. That's what it is. And he just simplifies everything and boils it down to um, the, what's actually important. And you know when you you talk about managers who work at Sunderland, like Keane's another one. Obviously, he was close to to coming back in, instead of Alex Neil. And Alex Neil's comments after the game yesterday reminded me of Keane. It's just like, well, we didn't play well, and you know. If, but if we can come away with a result from not playing well and not doing the basics right, then you know what we what can we do when we get everything everything right? And it's mm. you know it's, it's no bullshit. And you know some of the managers after yesterday's game would have talked the team up and said, oh you know we played really well, got the results, and it's not it's just bullshit, isn't it? And he yeah, he, yeah. he he talks the same language as fans do, and that's why I think it, it's working at the minute. And hopefully, you know, it'll work for a long time because he's, at the minute, he's he's perfect for us. Yeah. Um, we can't have you on, Tom, and let you go before uh, we talk about transfers. Obviously, it's going to be a busy week or so for you, isn't it? I think we've um, we've got how many days left? Nine? Ten? Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the like first, first of September this year because it, it, oh, every year they change the deadline from... Is it 11pm? Is it midnight? Is it 5pm? Is it going to be before the season starts or is it going to be at the end of August? Is it uh, Because there's game, there are games on the Wednesday night, they've decided to put it back, which they never used to do. If it was midweek and games were going on, transfer deadline would still be the same. This year it is the 1st of September, which is a Thursday, to avoid it clashing with um, matches that are going on. You'll not be getting any holidays approved then on, on, Wednesday, on the Wednesday? I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be transfers non-stop between now and then. Now I've got I've got no little nuggets to throw in about players at Sunderland or after. Uh, I've been told for a few weeks now that any signings would be very much well. I was told last week of the deadline. It may uh, last week of the window. Sorry, I think it might even be the last couple of days of the window. Maybe even some action on on deadline day. There will be new arrivals. Some will go. Maybe maybe only on loan, but some will go. Uh, more will come in than leave. What we are doing in this is perfectly, well, it, it's very sensible. Like I've been praising the recruitment. This is very sensible because a lot of Premier League clubs are, com- are very, very overloaded with players and they all want to bring more in. They're having to be patient. Once they've settled their squads, there are going to be a lot of quality players. 
who are surplus to requirements and available for potentially a good price if it's permanent, but certainly there are going to be loads of loan players available. And we, like many other clubs, are waiting. And I think that's the right thing to do. I understand the kind of frustration of, oh, we need these players in now. Well, in my job, it's more important to be right than to be first, right? And that's the same with our recruitment policy. Get it right. You don't need to do it all in the first week of the window. You can do it the last minute of the window. As long as it's right, that's the main thing. And I think that's very much the policy. Mm-hmm. Be right rather than first. And I, and, and I think yeah. for, by the end, by the deadline on the 1st of September, I think we are going to be very content. Yeah, the two names we've heard, uh, obviously Jewis and Bennett. Uh, anybody who listened to our Friday Night Live show might have heard Danny dropped on that. Uh, Danny Roberts, who's been our man on the ground with that one. He's been pestering the life out of people in Costa Rica about this particular deal. But his information was that despite the fact they were hoping he would be in the UK sort of Tuesday, Wednesday, that there'd been some paperwork issues and that he was set to fly as of recording tonight, Sunday night. Um, so if that does go ahead, then great. I think I think it's pretty much a case of when that happens rather than if. I think his manager has already came out and said, yeah, it's a done deal. He's going to do really well there, this, that, and the other. He's manager of his team over in Costa Rica. And the other one, which came out the blue on Saturday night, was... Brighton's Dutch defender Jan Paul Van Heck, who by all accounts was absolutely outstanding for Blackburn last season. He won their player of the year. A very young Dutch defender who's came through, I think um Utrecht might have been he played for. Not sure where he came from originally, but Brighton are a team who are very progressive when it comes to youth recruitment. Um and the most important thing is he played in the championship last year and blew the socks off a good team. So that if that if that does happen, which it sounds like, it, I mean, all this information's came from the Blackburn end, hasn't it? Rather than Sunderland or Brighton, this has been the the journalists who cover Blackburn who've came out after the game and said they've obviously been told this by the Blackburn manager. We're not signing him; he's going to Sunderland. What do you think of that one, Tom? It's a like I say, it came out of left field, but it certainly fits the bill, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And in terms of things not coming out of Sunderland, Sunderland are actually quite good at keeping. Again, keeping their business secret at the moment, which is annoying to to people like us, but uh, you know it's, it's, it, it is the right way to be. I don't I don't know anything about uh, Bennett. I've never never seen him play. But but this lad, I've been one of my good friends is a Blackburn fan. I've got a couple of Blackburn uh, fans who are friends actually, and they rave about this guy. They said he was he was player of the season last year. I don't know if that was official or their own, or it was it was their own player of the season. They are devastated that he's not going back to them. And you're right about Brighton's recruitment policy, especially if you look at their centre-backs. Look how well Dan Byrne did for them. Uh, Adam Webster, uh, they've they've done a, done a Chelsea with Matt Clark and signed him but keep loaning him out so they still make profits on him. Um, they now know how to get it right with centre-backs. So if, this, if they rate this guy, then I think we will rate this guy as well. Um, and with Ballard's injury, I didn't think we needed another centre-back with Ballard out, this guy... Um, from from what I'm told from Blackburn fans, this would be a very good signing. So hopefully it's true. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we get what we need. I think you're right. I think eventually we will get what we need and it's just a case of being a little bit more patient. Um, it, it does help when results are going well on the pitch, but we can't complain at the minute. And I think, you know, I'll take all the young prospects from Premier League teams that I can me. I love it. I love young players coming into Sunderland. I, I, I'm really on board with how we're doing things. I mean, more of that, if we can, please. Uh, Martin, you want to add something before we go? Yeah, it's with the, the Van Heck one, I think if you just have a scroll through Twitter and search his name, the Blackburn fans <laughs> are devastated. Yeah. And they yeah. cannot believe yeah. that he's going to, to us. You missed an opportunity there. We've got an interview on the site with a Blackburn fan as well, haven't we, That's Martin, it. which we people have. can read. Yeah, so if people head over to rotorreport.espionation.com, there is an interview with Blackburn fan Danny Innsworth, who follows suit and tells us how brilliant this kid is. So if you want to check that out, please do. On, on so like people are devastated and like Blackburn fans are either thinking he's gonna get a chance in the Premier League, go to another Premier League club, or go to a, a European club if he was going to get moved. They didn't even think he'd come back to the championship. So the interesting thing with him is that they say he plays in the centre of three. So whether longer term there's a doubt about Bath in that position and you know he's not the fastest um defender so whether he's going to replace Ballard in the short term with a, a view to playing centrally 
whether we stick with three at the back is going to be an interesting thing as, as well. And, you know, with Bennett potentially coming in, that's another winger when we're not playing with wingers. So it's going yeah. to be interesting to see how it all pans out over the next um, next few weeks and how we actually settle down. Because I actually think the, the system he's playing is working and we, we look yeah. comfortable and confident with it. And the vast majority of other teams are playing that f- formation as well. So we're kind of going like for like yeah. against a lot of teams. So it's it's going to be an interesting few few months, isn't it? See how we actually settle down mm-hmm. and the, the season sort of transpires from here. Absolutely. That's about time to end it, I think. Tom, where can people t- catch you over the next couple of weeks again? What time are you? Good morning transfers, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and transfer talk is midday every weekday, although on a Monday it is 1pm. Lovely, lovely. Well, I hope it's a nice, uh, exciting window for you because I know sometimes when the windows are a bit slow, it can be difficult, can't it, doing rolling news on transfers, but let's hope it's yeah. a busy one for you. <laughs> yeah, this this window this window has been brilliant actually, and the amount of clubs, yeah. especially in the Premier League, that still want new players, it is going to be busy, and I'm I'm looking forward to it actually. Mm-hmm. And we're looking forward to the next game, which is of course next Saturday against Norwich, another difficult one, but one that I'm sure we'll embrace. Uh, we'll have a preview on the pod feeds leading up to the game, so make sure you check that out. And also dropping on Wednesday, we've got a special podcast with legendary football commentator Clive Tilsley which will be nice to listen to so make sure you tune in Wednesday morning for that that'll be amazing I'm looking forward to that yeah apparently it was a really good conversation so I'm looking forward to that too Uh, and yeah make sure you check us out on all our feeds as we lead up to the Norwich game thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you later cheers Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.